Well, whenever you prepare a meal, you know as well as I do that while some ingredients are optional, there are certain food items that must be put into that meal to make it what it is, right? For example, spaghetti, you got to have spaghetti noodles. If not, if you leave those out, you just have a plate of red sauce with meat. Another example for a burger to be a burger, you got to have a hamburger patty in between those two pieces of bread. Now, some health food people will debate me on that. We can, we can discuss that over the break in the foyer, okay? We're going to have burgers tonight, so come. How's that for a plug for our fall festival? Come tonight. In a similar way, for salvation to occur, while God must work in our hearts and lives, we talked about that last week, we are saved by God's grace alone. There must be a response from us. While, while Scripture is clear that we are saved by God's grace alone, we are also saved through our faith alone. There, there must be this turning away from sin and turning toward Christ and trusting in Him. That's what faith is. Salvation is by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone. We'll talk about Christ alone next week and in a bit today too, right? Can't talk about the gospel without Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2 once again. We are taking a break from our study through Judges. If you're visiting with us, normally what we do is we take one book and we go all the way through it. And we are toward the end of Judges. We'll pick back up in Judges chapter 19 in November. But I'm taking a break for the month of October to look at the five solas, the five alones of Christianity. As many of you know, who have been with us the past few weeks and with me over the past few years, October is a special month for us as believers because at the end of this month, we remember a very important event in Christian history when Martin Luther posted his 95 Thesis to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And that act, though he didn't know it at the time, it led to the great Protestant Reformation, which is important for us because we as believers, we as a Bible church, we are a product, a, a result, an outcome of this great reformation that took place. And there were several key doctrines that were reintroduced during this time by Luther and other reformers that the church at this time desperately needed to relearn. The church at this time had strayed from the core teachings of Scripture. And so Luther and other reformers like him went back to the scriptures and they reintroduced these core teachings. Two weeks ago we looked at the Latin sola scriptura, which is Latin for scripture alone. In Luther's day there were many competing authorities in the church. There was the authority of those in church leadership. There was the authority of church traditions. And these authorities were competing with the authority of Scripture. So the Reformers said, while there were other authorities in life and other authorities in the church, there is only one supreme authority. The authority by which all other authorities are measured, and that, of course, surprise, surprise, is the Word of God. 
His word is supreme. And all of these other authorities must fall in line under this supreme authority. And this belief continues to this day. It's held by the elders here and the people here, the believers here at this, at this church. Another key doctrine we looked at last week that was reintroduced during the Reformation is the Latin sola gratia, which is grace alone. This is the teaching that salvation comes by God's grace alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. We cannot merit salvation. We do not deserve it. We cannot earn it. The church in Luther's day had drifted. From this, from this core doctrine. And we learned last week that many churches today have as well. That is why it is vital that we spend time studying these core doctrines of the Christian faith. Well, this morning, we're going to focus in on another core doctrine of Christianity. The teaching that we are saved by faith alone. Sola fide. And this, this teaching was another teaching that was a precious teaching that was reintroduced during the time of the Reformation in the 1500s. The church desperately needed to relearn this doctrine. So do many of us. So let's return to Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to focus in on verses 8 and 9 to begin. Look at what Paul says here. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, so notice here, while, while last week when looking at the first five verses in Ephesians 2, we said that, that salvation is a work that God does, and if he does not do that work, salvation will not happen here we learn that there is a response from us. Paul says we are saved through faith. There is a response required. And this is not the only time Paul says this. Another popular teaching, another popular verse of Scripture, chapter of Scripture, is Romans chapter 10. Paul says in verse 9 of Romans 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice, a confession is, is called for here. Some of you are probably thinking, well, how do we make sense of the fact that salvation is solely a work that God does, yet there is a response required from us? How is salvation solely a work of God, but contingent upon our profession of faith? Let me remind you what Paul says here. First, he leads with the bad news, and the bad news is we are dead. We are dead. And you, in Ephesians 2, 1, and there's nothing good after that on the and you section. And you, believers, he's speaking to the Christians of his day in the past tense, reminding them of who they once were. And you were, were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? You, you followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. You, you, you live by out in your flesh. You followed the desires of the flesh. You were led by that. And you, nothing good. But then, verse 4, but God, everything good. 
but God. Verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us. Notice that's past tense. This is where we are spiritually believers in Christ. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have victory in Christ. It is by God's grace, by His grace, we are secure. We're secure forever. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul says, God has worked in this way. He has poured out His amazing grace on undeserving sinners like you and me so that in the coming ages, we're in the coming ages, so that we would look upon the work that he does and we would look upon God as a God of grace and we would praise him for it and live in light of that. Who deserves all the praise for your salvation? You better believe it. Absolutely. God does. Scripture teaches that our salvation is solely a work of God. It's by His grace, yet it's also through our faith. God is sovereign in salvation. That's biblical. Man is responsible. That's biblical. And the workings of those two, get this, they're mysterious. They are. It's a mystery. Some have tried to explain these things by using clever illustrations and human logic. Well, God foresaw what man would do, you know. Heard that. God's sovereign will is like a carnival cruise ship headed in one direction toward one destination, but people are on the ship exerting their own wills. You have hyper-Calvinists who have taken... God's sovereignty to places scripture does not go. And Arminians who have dipped their toes in the water of open theism that says that God doesn't know how things are going to go because he's hands off when it comes to us. Folks, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that God is sovereign and man is responsible. And that's not contradictory because we're talking about two separate things when we talk about sovereignty and responsibility. It doesn't go against human reason, but it does go beyond our reasoning. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. This is one of those secret things. Some of you don't like that. You want all the answers. Listen, God is bigger than you. He's bigger than you could ever imagine. His ways are greater than you could ever think. His depths are deeper than you could ever plunge. Something I've taught our folks when I've taught on certain difficult doctrines of the Bible and and sovereignty and responsibility have made the list. I tell our folks this to begin our difficult doctrines class. I said, it's okay to say it's a mystery when it's a mystery. You're like, that's profound, Graham. Yeah, thanks for that. Glad I came in for that. Sometimes it's not that difficult. 
It's okay to say it's a mystery when it's a mystery. Now, there are certain things that are explained clearly. Don't call those things mysteries. The other half of Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. But certain things are a mystery. This is one of those doctrines. Ephesians 2 clearly teaches that salvation is by God's grace through faith. Scripture clearly teaches that our our salvation is a work of God. It is by His grace and it is through our faith. We need to understand that, that while salvation is not our doing, we have the responsibility to respond. God has set things up in such a way that when we're saved, guess what? God deserves all the credit and he receives all the credit. You better give it to him. And when we reject Jesus, we deserve all the blame. That's what Paul's saying here. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Now I looked that up in the Greek, that phrase, this is not your own doing. You know what it means? This is not your own doing. It's a good translation there. God's to be praised for your rescue. God's to be praised for your salvation. God's to be praised for your faith. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And and we know this because when someone responds to the saving, in, in saving faith, when they respond in repentance and faith to Jesus, we praise God for the work he's done in their heart and life. Don't we? You better do it. And when someone resists, guess what we're to do, believers? We're to warn them of the judgment that awaits them if they continue in rejection. This doctrine of faith alone also teaches that the one who tries through personal effort and devotion to earn forgiveness and merit salvation will also perish. We said last week that we struggle with the fact that we do not bring anything of worth to the table when it comes to salvation. We like to think that our works count for something. This is what the church taught in in Luther's day. While they said that one is saved by faith, they did not believe that salvation was by faith alone. You see, the church in this day, they didn't like that word sola or, or alone. If the reformers would have said we're saved by faith, many people would have said yes, We are faith plus good works. The church at this time taught that it was one's faith plus good works that made one right with God. Luther and the other reformers completely disagreed because of passages like what we have here in Ephesians chapter 2 that make it very clear that there is nothing in addition to faith that justifies us before God. Again, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, look at it. Salvation is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift and not a reward. It's unmerited and undeserved, not earned, not warranted. God declares people to be not guilty when they come by faith alone. Again, remember the song. 
rock of ages. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. So let me highlight this again. To get this great work that Christ has accomplished, applied to us to experience the gospel, we must respond by faith alone. Now, what is, what is faith? We've been talking about faith this morning. What, what is it? Let's be honest. That word is thrown around a lot in our society, isn't it? When you go to the Christian bookstore, you see shirts with the word faith on it. And you see stuff to hang on your wall with that word. Uh, we're, we're told to place our faith in Jesus. We're told to walk by faith. We're told to be faithful. We're called people of faith. What do we mean when we say faith? Well, at times... It's good to define what something is by what it's not. So for the rest of our time that we have left here, I want to share with you what true faith is by sharing with you what it's not. Okay, the first one we've already talked about, and uh, you've got it worded differently in your notes. I changed that late after it already went to, the, to be published. So uh, change it to this. Here's the first point. True faith does not include works true faith does not include works turn to Romans 4 Romans 4 and look at verses 4 through 5 or you can look up on the screen I believe I have it yes that's easier isn't it Paul says now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You see what Paul's saying here? He's saying to the one who works, to the one who tries to merit, to the one who tries to, to earn a right standing with God, he or she receives what his or her works merit. Punishment and condemnation. But, verse 5, Paul says, to the one who does not work, to, to the one who does not try and do anything to merit salvation, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul says, through faith, one is considered righteous. There is nothing we can do to merit a right standing with God. We do not bring anything to the table, and if we try, Paul says, we do not experience God's justification. If we come before God trusting in our own efforts, we will not be justified. What our efforts earn us is condemnation. By God's grace, we receive salvation. Okay? It's experienced by faith alone. How many of y'all have heard the phrase, there's no such thing as a free lunch? You ever heard that before? That comes from the late 1800s, early 1900s. Saloons and other restaurants would, would offer people a free lunch to get them into their establishments. And of course, they would make their money back selling drinks and, and encouraging customers to come back. It was a very successful marketing campaign 
So much so that this phrase came from that. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And I think experience confirms this for us, right? We, we know that's the case. We've experienced that, that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Or if it sounds too good to be true, what? Probably is. Here's the amazing thing about God's gospel. While it sounds too good to be true, it is in fact true. God's gospel message tells us while we have sinned against God and are at odds with him and unable to do anything about our situation on our own, God has provided for us what he requires of us in Jesus. And the only thing expected from us is to receive it by faith. Now, some have rejected this message because deep down they don't believe it. We have learned there's no such thing as a free lunch. We think surely there is something that I do. Surely there is work to be done on my end. That's what many in Luther's day believed. They believed it for a time. He believed it for a time as well. And other reformers like him. But Luther ended up so depressed because he knew what, what God's righteousness was from what he studied in scripture, what God required of him. And he knew that if it was on his shoulders to earn salvation, he was sunk. That's why the doctrine of grace alone and faith alone were so sweet to Luther. Why that became the cry of the reformers, those teachings. It was the biggest relief in the world for him and it should be for us. We should be praising God that he doesn't place the work of salvation that needs to be done upon our shoulders. If he did, we would be shipwrecked, helpless and hopeless. Praise be to God. He provides for us what he requires of us in Jesus Christ. He has made a way when there seemed to be no way. And all he calls for us to do is this, get this, stop your striving. Stop trying to carve out your own way in life. Stop trying to measure up. Stop trying to carve out your own need for significance and happiness and lasting satisfaction and simply come by faith alone, through Christ alone. So true faith does not include works. Here's another thing that true faith does not. It's not general optimism. At times we use faith synonymously with being optimistic, just positive that God is going to, to work for you. Just trust that if you're doing the best that you can, God is going to help you out. God helps those who help themselves. That's general optimism. That's not saving faith. When we talk about Christian faith, we're not just saying that, that it's just feeling optimistic about God, saving faith places Jesus as the, the, the object, the object of our faith, and, and, and that we are looking to Him and trusting in Him and depending upon Him on His person and on His work alone for salvation. That's what Christian faith is, looking to Jesus, trusting in Him alone. It's depending upon Him and only Him for salvation. It's not me being generally optimistic that I've, I'm doing what I need to do. God will take care of me. With that mentality, while one may, may have moments of optimism, you'll never be certain and secure. 
with Christ we can be certain and secure. That in Him we have life, new life, abundant life, eternal life, because our life is hid in His and made secure by the work that He has accomplished in saving us. Here's another, number three. True faith is more than intellectual. This is very important. Some call themselves Christians because they believe facts to be true about Jesus. They believe facts to be true about his person and work. They say, yeah, I believe that, that Jesus died and, and rose again. I believe those facts to be true. Same way someone would say, I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States. That's not true saving faith. Something that stops right there. While it's important, that we, we believe intellectually that Christ lived and died and rose again. If our belief doesn't go any further than that, that's not saving faith. Saving faith is not simply saying, I believe facts to be true about, about Jesus. Even the demons believe that, we're told in Scripture. Saving faith is saying, get this, I believe Jesus died and was raised for me. And I am personally trusting in Him alone for my salvation. I've heard it said before that many will miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance from the head to the heart. Very true. Remember, again, Paul says, while we are to confess with our mouths, we're to believe what? Our hearts. That's what's required to be saved. It's personal trust in Jesus. That's a big difference. Fourth, true faith goes beyond simple approval of Jesus. Some will say, you know, I believe Jesus died and rose again. I, I'm glad he did. I'm a fan of Jesus. I sing songs about Jesus. I got Jesus bumper stickers on my car. That's just approval of Jesus and what he did. Faith is when you go to Jesus and you depend on that work that he did for your salvation. Faith is when you make Christ Lord of your life. When you say, Jesus, I want my life hid in yours. I want to live for you. And I want you to live in and through me. I want who you are and what you have accomplished applied to my life. That's faith. Former pastor of Austin Stone, I believe he's at Sagemont Church now in Houston. Matt Carter said this in one of his gospel commentaries. Look at this. This is great. I got it up on the screen for you. To believe is to internalize the truth about Jesus. It's to receive him into your soul. Thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing. Understanding how Jesus saves a person is not the same as believing. Believing demands relinquishing all other means of salvation. It means saying, I cannot do it on my own. I cannot make it on my own. I will die apart from Jesus. I am helpless and hopeless. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, give me life. That's saving faith. True faith, saving faith, goes beyond knowledge of and approval of Jesus. And it's more than emotions. That's the next point. True faith is more than emotions. When I was young and questioning my salvation, which I, I should have been because I was not 
a believer. People would say to me, well, how did you feel when you were eight? Did you mean it? Did you get emotional? Did you feel what you meant? I've had folks tell me in the past, oh, so-and-so is saved because they walked an aisle when they were eight and nine. I remember they, they, they cried. And in one case, the boy that they were describing doesn't even believe in God. Now, I'm not saying that you won't get get emotional when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Some will. I did when I was in college. But we can feel a similar way by watching a movie or listening to a certain song on the radio. That is not what makes salvation genuine. It's when we come by faith alone and simply trust in the person and work of Christ alone. Here's another True faith is not a catch-all. Let me explain what I mean here. There are some, and I've heard the gospel shared in this way before, but there are some who say, you know, I'm I'm not sure if I believe in the person and work of Jesus, but I'll pray that prayer to cover my basis. Just to make sure I'm in. I'm going to make sure to walk that aisle. I'm going to make sure to pray that prayer. I'm going to make sure to pass through the waters of baptism. I've heard people share the gospel in this way. They'll say, what do you got to lose? You might as well pray this prayer because if, if it's true, you haven't lost anything. And if not, you haven't lost anything. Folks, that's not faith. Faith is knowing who Jesus is and what he's done for you and believing it and personally receiving it it's believing and trusting in christ in his person and work alone for salvation it's not a catch-all to cover your basis one last thing this is important true faith is not just a past act some think that faith is something you do in the past and then you move on i've shared the gospel with people before and they They respond in this way. Maybe you've heard this. Oh, I've already done that. As if Jesus is just a that that you do. I've marked that off my bucket list. I've done that. Some believe that it's just something you do in the past. You check it off the list and you move on with your life. Faith is not just a past decision. It's absolutely a past decision for us believers. But it's not... Just a past decision that you make and then you can go live however you want. I challenge you to find that in Scripture. Paul says in Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. Present tense. Shall live. It doesn't say the righteous demonstrated faith at one time in the past and then moved on. Not what Paul says. The righteous shall live by faith. One of my good friends in ministry once said it in this way. He said, true faith is not a one-time thing, it's a lifetime thing. Mark that down. True faith is not a one-time thing, it's a lifetime thing. If you're here today and trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation, that's a sure sign that you were trusting in him then when you first made that decision for him. And if you're not today, it's a good sign that you never were. We talked about it before, a faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty at the first. Scripture teaches that. I think, I think it's safe for us to, to assume if a person does not believe in God, 
then that time when they walked down the aisle at seven or eight was not genuine. I think we could say that, right? That you can't belong to God and not believe in God, right? And you're like, again, profound. To be a follower of Jesus, you have to follow Jesus. Now, there's no grace graduates in here. We mess up, but we're messed up about messing up. We struggle with our struggle. and We repent and we keep striving by God's grace because God is at work in us to will and to work. So when you're questioning your salvation, listen, let me, let me give you something new here and something to give to someone else. Don't look back to try to get in the mind of that seven or eight-year-old on what was going through your mind at that time and say, what, was I genuine at that time or not? That, don't, don't look back in the past. Look at yourself in the present. Are you trusting in Jesus right now, today? Deal with what's going on in the present. Are you living by faith? Salvation is by faith alone. One is saved by looking to the person and work of Christ alone and believing in Him alone for salvation. Are you, are you trusting in Christ for your salvation today? Let me just say this to close. Have you, have you turned from your sin? Maybe you're here and you're thinking about that list and you're like, I've had a completely different idea of what faith is. I'm not truly trusting in Christ alone. I, I pray the Spirit of God right now just clear out any confusion in your heart and life today. Ask yourself this question. Am I trusting in Christ alone for my salvation right now today? Have you given your life up and over to Jesus? If not, that's your invitation today. I pray today be the day you make this decision for Christ. I'm, I'm always available over the break when we break out of here in the foyer. Grab me if you want to talk more about this. One of the elders as well. Love to, love to follow up with you on this. No more important question to have answered than that right there. And I pray that, that that gets sorted out in your heart and life today. Okay, let's pray together.